Gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and this week on the podcast, I have a very special guest, one of my colleagues who's actually agreed to talk to me outside of work, Keith Tona. How are you doing today, Keith? Doing good, Liz. Yeah, I've, I'm glad we're able to, um, yes, I did agree to talk to you outside of class. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, Keith is a Latin teacher like me, and Keith, you have a blog. Do you want to plug it real quick? Yeah, my blog is called Totally comprehensible latin and it is spelled t-o-d-a-l-l-y so again totally comprehensible latin dot blogspot uh, dot com um and it's a it's a blog dedicated to the teaching of latin using comprehensible input methodology so um it's been in six seven years in the making and i'm just amazed that first off that people actually want to read it and people feel like I have something to say um, as I share, you know, just my own journey on implementing comprehensible input in the Latin classroom. So yeah, so I've, I've, it's, I've really enjoyed blogging these past six, seven years. Yes. You've been blogging a lot longer than I have. Actually, I read your blog before we ever became colleagues, which was awkward and then it wasn't, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 funny how like I read other people's blogs, and so like when I meet them, I almost get like you know like fangirl kind of thing. Just be like, oh my gosh, you know, I read your blog, and and they're just like, yeah, it's just absolutely. So we'll get to the game content soon, listeners. But first, Keith, do you want to define what comprehensible input is for the audience? So okay. this is this is part of my professional life, y'all, that that we don't normally talk about. Comprehensible input. Um, is a term that was coined by Stephen Krashen back in the 70s. And it relates to world language pedagogy, but in many ways it could also carry over, I guess, to any subject area. But the idea is that we acquire language. The language which we acquire is is that which we understand. And so the idea in language teaching is Yes, we want students to experience language, but they also need to uh, comprehend it and understand it and acquire it through understandable and comprehensible messages. So many times you have teachers who suddenly just want to do a complete immersion setting for their classroom, which is fine. That's called the natural method. But at the same time, if the messages which are being delivered aren't understandable, then it's simply just noise to students because they don't understand what's going on. They can hypothesize, they can, you know, make inferences about it. But a lot of times what ends up happening is they just become very frustrated and immersion can quickly turn into submersion for students because they don't understand what is happening. Hence they get frustrated. Yes. And I think, I mean, this is true for me anyway. Frustration is basically the number one impediment to learning for me. And I think also uh, for our students, has that been your experience as well? Yeah. And in one of Krashen's, um, one of his theories deals with something called the affective filter. And the affective filter 
essentially is any emotional obstacle or hindrance or barrier that will impede someone from learning. And so we can relate to that. I think everyone, when learning something, they can relate to that, that when they get frustrated or they start to experience stress, when that rises, then their ability, their ability to learn then lowers. And so a lot of times um, when we teach, we just need to be aware of that. And so a lot of, when I hear teachers talk about, you know, teaching bell to bell, that's fine. But at the same time, you need to be aware of how are you spending that time? Because if it's 100% notes, then students can get very frustrated with that. And then they want to shut down. I have a friend who, his name is Evan Gardner, and he heads up an organization called Wear Your Keys. And one of the things he deals with is um, teaching and training teachers how to teach language. And he refers to like various signs or ways students can communicate with you regarding um, their own stress level. And he calls it a full check. And he'll just say full check and he'll point to students and they like, like a, like a, I guess the thermometer kind of thing, they'll, they'll raise or lower their hand to indicate how full they are. And that tells him, okay, we can keep moving on or no, seems like everyone is full or pretty full. So we need to take a break. So frustration can come from just many different avenues. It can come from just overload of information and, um, or it just come, it come from, I don't understand information. So think about just being in a you know, math or physics class. If you're not understanding the material, then it's a really, really long period. And so of course you're going to shut down and you're not going to want to learn. That's absolutely true. And I think we share this. One of my personal favorite ways to get around the affective filter, to lower it, to get students kind of into the groove where they can learn is to play games. And yes. you are a master of classroom games. That's one of my favorite things about teaching with you. So <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> why don't you why don't you share some of the games we like to play? And just for the just for clarification, audience, uh, we do not necessarily mean board games. Uh, this is more games in the sense of creating a sense of play in the classroom. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I I like with students, I call them activities because games imply fun, and so I'm always. Very, I always say we're doing an activity and, and if someone doesn't like it afterwards, I'm like, yeah, that's, it was an activity, not a game. So, um, but yeah, with activities, I learned probably in the past 10 years, just before, like when I, I'm in my 22nd, 23rd year of teaching. And I want to say like, you know, even when I was a student, I enjoyed games and activities. And I think in my early years of teaching, I did activities, but I, I think I was just blindly throwing them in the, into the lesson just because um, we needed a break or they were just fun, but they really didn't relate to what we were doing in class. And so one of the things I've learned about activities and games is that they need to have a purpose. And, you know, sometimes we need a distraction and that's perfectly fine. But if you're going to really use games and activities in your classroom, well, what, what is your end goal of this? As language teachers, um, our goal is to give students um, repetition of understandable messages. And so games and activities are great ways for them to interact with these messages in different ways. Um, Carol Gobb, who is 
um, a CI comprehensible input trainer and um, leads up a publishing company, uh, Fluency Matters. What I learned from her was the term um, or the phrase, the brain craves novelty. And so that's one of the things which I've learned is that, yeah, you, when we do games and activities, it gives us opportunities uh, to create novelty for the brain, but yet still get in repetitions. And then Liz and I both have a colleague, Rachel Ash, and she also says um, that it's important to get in repetitions without being repetitive. So when I plan a lesson, I try and see, okay, how many, how many different ways can I get in repetitions in different ways? And not every student is gonna enjoy every type of activity, but hopefully there'll be an activity that will appeal to every type of learner. So an activity, I mean, we, I think when we think of games, we tend to think of like the main ones, just like Kahoot, um, Gimkit, which are great. I, I love those type of activities, but at the same time, I, th I think we also need to be careful that when we do games and activities that we're, our goal isn't to simply entertain students, but we, we want to engage them and hopefully implement higher order thinking. So like with um, Kahoot, you know, th those are great recall games. Um, but at the same time, not every kid likes those kind of games. So sometimes activities could be, we're just going to interact with um, a story, but we're going to interact with it in a way such as, um, a simple activity that I've learned is simply here's a statement, and then based on what we know from the story, um, is this statement possible based on what we know, and is the statement probable from what we know? And it's simply just ask kids just to, you know, is this statement so something like if we read a story about a family, and we the story tells us that the, the family is famous, the dad is a doctor. And if I ask students, okay, based on the story, is this sentence possible? And the sentence could be the family is the, is the Kardashians. And students would say, well, it's possible because we know that the family is famous. And I'm like, well, is it probable? And students who are familiar with the Kardashians would say, no, it's not probable because the dad's not a doctor. So that's just a very, very simple kind of activity or game that you can play with students and you're, you can do it in the target language. So that's a very, very simple one. I, I like to do um, very things up to um, in terms of having interactive games with students interact with each other. And then there are other activities where it just be like you're interacting individually, you know, maybe on a screen like Kahoot or Gimkit. Um, Cause at the same time, not every kid wants to interact with everybody. So you, you try and just um, give variety so that at least um, I'm a, trying to appeal to every type of learner, every type of student and still give them repetitions of messages. That makes a lot of sense. So for context, in case y'all out there have not played Kahoot or GimKit, especially in this digital year, uh, we have been working with a lot of apps as teachers that allow kids to play essentially vocabulary or phrase games. Uh, Kahoot is a very basic trivia game. GimKit 
has a Kahoot like mode, but they also have things like a knockoff Among Us and of humans versus zombies team mode where you're trying to get the kids to, you know, want to do Latin vocabulary in order to take out the opposite team. <laughs> and there's also another app out there called Blook It, for those of you who are teachers, B-L-O-O-K-E-T, that has a variety of games, one of which, interestingly, is a Slay the Spire knockoff, where in order to get cards, you have to answer questions correctly that your teacher has assigned. So, Keith, those are some online games that we play. What are some of your favorite classroom games? What, what are we going to play when we don't have to sit six feet apart anymore? <laughs> There, there's. It's funny because I, I was when I think about that, I'm like, oh, what did what did we do um, a year ago when we were face to face? I guess one of the games that um, I like to do because I like the kind of games where, especially as a teacher, if I can just facilitate it and the kids play with it, then that's all, all I have to do is walk around. Um, a game that I learned uh, about probably six, seven years ago. Um, I learned it from a Spanish teacher. And it's in Spanish, it's called seis, which means six. But in Latin, <laughs> the word for six is sex. So the, it's called the sex game. And it's always really, really funny, just because in many ways, it's it simply is just the number six in Latin. But what it is, is you divide groups into into groups of four three or four and you have um there's one pencil or writing implement in the middle of the group each group has a list of sentences that they have to translate into english and this is probably pretty late in a in a lesson plan by this point they're very very familiar with the reading and the story and so it's more of a speed game of how fast can you translate a sentence. But the way it's played, though, is that there is um, a, a single die, and one student will roll the dice, and if the student rolls a six, then they get to grab the pencil or writing implement and start translating. The dice goes to the next person, and that person wants to roll a six. If the person doesn't roll a six, then it goes to the next person. And so the idea is you want to roll a six. And the minute you yell a six, in Spanish you yell seis, but in Latin you yell sex, which is makes it even like twice the fun. And so the idea is, and I tell students, like, I want to hear you yell it, okay? Just, it's, it's you know, it's not, it's, don't whisper it. You know, I want to hear you yell sex. I want people next door to know we're playing the sex game um because that always gives me an opportunity to explain oh yeah sex just means six in latin <laughs> so fun story about that uh my very first observation from our principal was on a day that we played the sex game <laughs> and <laughs> so you know i've got these kids who like sex <laughs> like in the middle of my you know i was at a trailer last year and thank god this principal already knew how our latin department worked and the kind of stuff we did because i did not have to explain it he was like oh it's that game huh <laughs> and yeah like, and, and, go. It, <laughs> and and kids either love it or they hate it just because in many ways it could be that you get the kid who knows all the sentences and is ready to translate but never rolls a six or when that student rolls a six the per and grabs the pencil. By the time the student starts to write, 
they get maybe two letters and then the next student rolls a six. And then you get groups that are just, they're frustrated because the person who is writing and translating gets to write for like three, four minutes because no one's rolling a six. So it's, it's random. Um, and so that's one of the things about games and activities too, is, is there'll be students who love games and activities and there'll be those who hate it. And just like a game like Kahoot, uh, which is a very competitive game, the competitive kids really like it because it's a speed game. So you're answering a question um, on a digital app and the quicker you answer correctly, the higher amount of points you'll get. But the competitive kids will, if I've noticed that if they get a question wrong, they won't play anymore. And then the, those who are slower processors don't like the game because um, they feel like they can't win. So sometimes I just had to be aware of that, you know, in terms of, okay, is this an activity that it's only appeals to fast processors? How will competitive kids react to this? How will slower processors react to things? So th- those are things which games and activities are great, but you also have to just be aware of, all right, who's my audience? And, um, and sometimes games don't have to last. Games activities don't have to last a full period. You know, sometimes a game like, like the sex game for me um, is good for about maybe 10, 15 minutes just oh, because, yeah. just because it, it gets old and kids get frustrated. So you're bringing up something interesting here, though, that I really like to think about. Actually, in the context of board games as well. Um, I think a lot of people who don't like a board game will often say, well, it was, it's luck driven. It's too luck driven. I don't get to lean enough on skill. But I also think that there is something good about games that kind of equalize the playing field in that way, especially when you are playing with people of varying skill levels. Um, do you think that having some games where even the person who maybe isn't going to guaranteed win in a pure skill test, don't you think a game where they have a chance is maybe better in a classroom because it kind of lowers that affective filter lowers that sense of competition. Well, it, it, it depends on the game too. So like, just like with the sex game, it, because you're rolling a die and it's based on chance that equalizes the game um, for everyone. Um, Cause it could be that a student who may not be the fastest processor could actually do very well at the game because the people in this group are not rolling a six. Um, so yeah, games, like I said, are, are ways to um, engage students. So I, I think sometimes it's just, sometimes we just have to be careful that we don't always do a, a game that only appeals to fast processors. Um, something I've also learned just with activities, brain breaks are another way to implement games and activities in a class. Um, And brain breaks are something I learned probably about like five years ago. And I had heard about them, but I kind of dismissed them because I thought that's something that you kind of did, you know, you did, you know, for elementary school kids. Um, But something I learned is that, um, again, we say the brain craves novelty or we need to, you know, the affective filter is high because students are just full of information. So a brain break is a great activity or a game that you can do just for two, three minutes and it will just reset the brain. So some of my favorite 
um, brain breaks. They could just be simple as, all right, we're going to count to 10, but we're going to clap for every multiple of three or something like that. Um, and then we're going to do it again, but this time stand on your left foot. So in other words, it's, it, you're, all you're doing is just an activity, but we're just kind of resetting the brain. Another one I, um, that's fun to do is true or false. And it could be something that maybe we've done in class. You just give them a statement and you're like, is this true or false? And um, I make them like put their hands out in the form of a T if they think it's true. They got to stand up too, because that's part of it. And if they think it's false, they put their hand on their head. So sometimes I could give them like a, a like a real random fact. Um, and the activity is, all right, well, I'll give you a statement. And if, if you get it correct, then you get to s- remain standing. If not, then you sit down and, you know, how many people are left standing after three statements? So if I were to give you a statement like um, the highest or trying to think how what's the best way to say this the best selling product at walmart is shampoo is that true or false and i'll ask students okay put your hands out in a t if it's true put your hands on your head if it's false um and then i say it's false the best selling product at walmart is bananas which i didn't know i would have thought like toothpaste or something but uh so Wait, is that an actual fact that's an actual fact seriously yeah yeah Whoa. I, so yeah, I, I probably bananas cause they, you know, they come in, you know, six, you know, <laughs> so maybe that's why, <laughs> you know, so, you know, they, they come and they're already, you know, they're already, you know, in a package of four or five. So maybe individually, but, um, but yeah, so that's an activity, a game activity where it's just like, okay, we're going to do a brain break. Yeah. Um, Although I have it, to tell you, yeah, I have a favorite brain break and it is definitely the, we fit brain break. So if oh, any of y'all okay. out there is a teacher or you want to entertain your child for five minutes, go on YouTube, find somebody doing a playthrough or a let's play of, of we fit like one of the obstacle courses and have the kids stand up and just pretend that they're doing it. Like running in place, jumping, yelled them in Latin a little bit. If you're a Latin teacher, that is hilarious. And of course it eventually devolved into occasionally I would let them do um, a short, just dance thing at the end of class as a reward. <laughs> Yeah, and the and the Wii obstacle course, it's it's actually pretty funny just because I think like when the first time I did it, students were like we're doing what? I'm trying to explain what we're doing. And so I'm like, we're just gonna watch, you know, a Wii obstacle course, and then you have to set the speed so that's fast. And all you're doing is like, okay, we're gonna run, 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 and, you know, and you're you know, in Latin you're like curate, curate, and then you know, then you're like flectate, turn, you know. Um then you have like, okay, jumps, you know, saltate, things like that. And it's funny just in the sense that kids will really get into it, especially high school kids. And I don't know if just because it's novel, it's just different. Uh, but at the same time, I, I would have students who would request, like, can we do the Wii Obstacle course as a brain break? <laughs> and I'm like, you do realize this is not real. It's not like you are actually running and you're controlling anything. But they're like, yeah, but it's just fun. So, like it's, we, we've been saying that, you know, in terms of just helping to lower the affective filter, a brain break is a great way to do that. Yeah. And I think that while we're not talking about like traditional games in this particular segment, um, I think what we are talking about, right, is creating a sense of fun 
which I think then creates a sense of community, a sense of safety. It makes people more willing to try things because, you know, these same kids who are afraid of answering a question in front of the class are not at all shy about running along to a wee obstacle course in the middle of, of class. And I, I think that there's something really charming about that, but also really healthy. Well, and I think in many ways, I think our discipline lends itself to you know games and activities because we we just need to change things up but i think in many ways you know when i hear from students that you know our class is like one of the few ones where they actually where they students are actively doing activities versus just sitting in class you know sitting through a lecture um and not to say that doesn't have its place but if that is all a teacher is doing then of course the affective filter is going to be there. And it's not, and it may not be out of frustration or not understand the material, but it's just boredom. So their stress levels more based on, they just don't want to be there. So I, I think when incorporating games and activities, um, yeah. It, and I think because we, we as instructors want to make it a fun um, environment and we want to make it so that you know we're we're trying to get students engaged different ways and even with something like the we ops of course where i'm running with the students i'm actually doing it um yeah it is a great way to build community and just be real with students that we as, as teachers we need to have fun too so many times i i have fun just watching students play games and activities because I'm like, oh, you're having fun? Okay, so I'm having fun too. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's nothing like getting kids really pumped up to, you know, do something that is technically work. But somehow you've made it not feel like that by by turning it into something else. So you call this the highlighter game, but I have just oh. changed the name. Sorry. It's now called Marker Knife Fight. <laughs> and that, so- that, and that, that's pretty accurate as to what to call it. <laughs> So it's the only speed game that even my slower processing students really love because there's like that little edge of violence to it, but nothing too serious. So for those of you who have never seen a, an amazing round of marker knife fight, basically you put a bunch of, for a Latin class, you put a bunch of Latin vocabulary words in a word cloud on pieces of paper, you print it off and you have the students pair up and each of them has a soft tipped writing implement. So a highlighter or a marker, no pens for reasons that you will soon understand. Um, so as they're sitting there, you know, you kind of make it real dramatic, uh, but very slowly with like weird pauses, you'll say a word in English and they race to be the first person to cross out that word in Latin on the page. So if they're looking for dog, you know, you say it and they're like, ah! like you hear like people just thumping against the binders that the papers are on or, <laughs> you know, no, that was me first. No, they're coloring over my marker. Um, it, there's, there's actual screaming every single time you say one of the vocabulary words. <laughs> And yeah. it's great. Yeah, and it, it, it's a it's a fun game uh, in the sense that yeah, it even like what I found for that game, and I don't know if it's just because what if you actually think about it, it's, it sounds like a stupid game. You're like, yeah, you're just highlighting it, but because there's just it's and because it's a word cloud, so the words are scattered, and so. You know, they're horizontal, they're um, vertical, and they could be upside down for the kid, depending on where it is. Um, it's just fun seeing kids really, really attack that game. I mean, to the, yeah, you're saying it is violent. Yeah, I've had students break highlighters over this. Um, 
like their sheet of paper is like all torn up. Um, they're the people they're playing with have highlighter all over their hands from the other person highlighting their hand instead of the paper. Uh, it's yeah. And it, what I love most too, when I hear, when we do an activity is if I hear a student say that was really fun, I want to play it again. Then what for me, I'll be like, okay, we'll play it again, but we'll, I'll wait like maybe four to six weeks to play it again, just so that it preserves the novelty because if I play it like every week, then suddenly kids don't want to play anymore, you know, or it's the same people that win. But yeah, so a lot of times I'll just be like, okay, great. Um, I want to hear students say, when are we going to play X game again? Because I'm like, all right, you you like that game. You like that activity. It, it appealed to you. So yes, let's, we'll do it again. But we just not, we're just not going to do it now. Right. I, I do think that, I think this is true in actual board games as well, which is why I think this is such an interesting topic just generally, which is that, you know, novelty is something that we all crave. I think that that's the reason that, you know, within the board gaming hobby, we're always chasing that next new game. We always want the potential of that next big game. But also, uh, you know, I think that we, most of us do not play the same game over and over and over and over again. You have to rotate. And I think that, that, you know, the mind does crave novelty, that, that appetite for something new doesn't change when you get older or when you're just in your fun time. Yeah. And, and it's interesting now just because um, with students, I also have to be aware of, all right, what are other activities or games that other t- classes are doing, other teachers are doing? Because um, like when Kahoot was really, really big, by the time they would come to my class and I would do a Kahoot review, they'd be like, I've played this four times today you know, as part of an exam review. So, you know, I try and, you know, keep an ear to what is new or what are some new things like Gimkit um, last year um, became a big game. And now Blookit is another mm-hmm. tool for us to add. So, you know, I, 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 I like the fact in many ways that other teachers don't know about some of these activities so that ki- when we do use it in class, kids enjoy it because they're like, Oh yeah, we, we played look it in Latin class, you know, versus, you know, we played look it in every class and I need to look towards something new. So I appreciate, especially like Gimkit, um, because it was developed by a high school student. Um, he knows that, like we're saying novelty. So it's not this, there is the basic game, but he also knows that he needs to keep changing it up to keep students interested in the game. Versus Kahoot, which, you know, has remained pretty static. Um, Gimkit, there's like the Thanos mode. Uh, What's the one you were saying? Like, not Spies Like Us, but... Oh, they call it Trust No One, but it's a knockoff of Among Us, which the kids love. So they're, you know, so in other words, the development team realizes they need to keep things fresh. And I I appreciate that as a teacher, because I'm like... I can say we're going to play Gimkit, but we're going to do a different new activity that still kind of resembles Gimkit. But I'm like, yeah, but like when we do the Thanos survival mode and the kids have to collect, you know, the first one to collect six stones gets, you know, gets to do the snap. At the very end, you all the names of students will appear on the screen and we find out whether or not they survived or not. So kids, there's some buy-in there. Kids want to see at the very end if they survive. Um, there are other things where it's zombie mode, you know, zombies versus humans. 
And the idea is to, if you're a zombie or human, you, you want to gain energy points for your team so you can stay alive. So that's what I appreciate about even things like Gimkit is that, all right, they recognize that, yeah, we're using their product, but they also need to keep the product fresh. Yeah, I think there's a lot to learn from that as a teacher, as a game designer, as somebody who plays. And I think, I don't know, I think the other thing that I love about what we do in our program, and especially what you like to do in your classroom, is I do believe that we learn by playing and that we also develop community better yes. by playing. And I think that ignoring that in, even though our kids are high schoolers, right? They're, they're you know, they're getting oh, too big for the dumb kid stuff. They still need it. They still want it. And it, it matters that we offer it. Yeah. And games and activities give, give novel ways to interact with material, to recall material, to review material. But at the same time, it does help build community um, depending on the type of activity it is. So it, it is interesting, um, you know, when I, you know, even if I like when I try and, you know, be very aware of like when I, if, when I create teams, I try and create teams of, you know, people who sit around each other. Cause I'm like, well, they probably know each other. I just don't want it to be for strangers, but at the same time, you know, there may be someone that they don't student doesn't know. And then the sudden they just realize like, wow, I, I didn't know you. Um, Especially a game like the marker game, they're like, "Wow, I did not know you were so competitive," and it's it's there's there's a degree of you know fun, but at the same time, like, yeah, but you're also getting to know each other, you know. And I always it's funny when you know when students will um, sometimes complain. They're like, "I don't like playing a game with you know people I don't I don't know." I'm like, "Well, I'm not asking you to you know go to prom with this student. I'm just asking you to do an activity with this student for like 10, 15 minutes. Hopefully, you know it's it's." It's not, you know, trying to phrase it. Hopefully it's not painful for you to be with these people for 10, 15 minutes. At the same time, hopefully you get to least, you see the person sitting across the room. Hopefully now you know at least that person's name because you did an activity with that person. I have a question that I don't think we talk about this as, as colleagues very much, but if you could go back and take Latin all over again, would you want to take it the way we teach it? Would you prefer that to what we went through? Okay, so in terms of if I had to go back, would I want to learn Latin the way I learned it versus the way I, I'm learning it now? That's a good question because the way most Latinists learn Latin was what we call grammar translation, um, where it's you know, charts and graphs, um, vocabulary lists, um, strict translation decoding. And I think to a degree, because I've... I've thought about this many times i think i would like to, i would like to learn latin the way i'm learning it now only because i see what students are able to do with latin because in using comprehensible input i'm using a spoken aspect i'm using a writing aspect. I'm trying to use, you know, treat it like a just a regular language as opposed to just simply Latin to English. Not to say that it's not there, but I always tell students anytime we do an activity, like a listening activity, where you know maybe something I'm saying a sentence in Latin and their their job is simply to draw it. I always tell them like how much further they are in their Latin learning at their age than I was when I was their age, just because I never was never exposed to that. 
Um, I'm really good at conjugating charts and things like that, but that doesn't mean I knew the language because I never interacted with it. So yeah, I, I think I very much would like to learn Latin the way we do Latin um, at our school. Um, yeah, I think about the, even the games that we did in um, when I was in high school, but they were just like, you know, it was like, be the first one to conjugate this verb, you know, in or do a synop- verb synopsis, things like that, which was very, very grammar oriented, but it never was with the language itself. So I think in treating Latin and teaching it in a way, you know, of comprehensible input, I think it opens itself that we can do so many more activities with students. And I think that's what's something I wish I had experienced. Yeah, my own memories of Latin in the classroom are very much about grammar and wanting to know facts real good, you know, <laughs> know yeah. them really fast. <laughs> and, I, you know, I if I was going to learn another language, I would want somebody who's a comprehensible input teacher to teach it to me. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. And, and I love my Latin teacher. And, oh, me too. And I'm very much geared toward grammar translation. Like, I flat out, I, you know, I always say I'm a recovering grammar translation teacher, and I love grammar, but I also realized that in teaching grammar translation method, and it took me a long time to come to this realization, is that I'm only appealing to a certain type of student. Usually we call them four percenters. Um, they're, the, they're the kids who love grammar and the kids that could essentially teach themselves Latin um, yeah. and who love it. And, I, and I'm that student. And so in many ways, I... I was under the impression that I'm like, this is Latin is not for everyone just because this is the way you, you learn Latin and this is what you do with Latin. So only certain types of learners can take Latin. And, you know, and I, I even like, you know, would tell people that I even told students that, that it wasn't their fault that they weren't doing well in Latin. It just wasn't for them. And so I, in teaching comprehensible input, like it's taken me, you know, took me like 15 years to get to that point where I felt like, okay, I think, you know, I need to make a change in the way I teach. But the, what I look and see how students are able to acquire a language and it's a deep acquisition, you know, it's it's not just surfacey that it's an acquisition where it's, you know, it's internal and they don't realize they know things, but they do, you know, versus I think us where we were making flashcards, you know, when we're doing, you know, kill and drill vocabulary, um, you know, flashcard drills and things like that. And just writing out conjugations. This is different. They're internalizing the language. And so with games and activities, it's another way for them to get that exposure that leads to acquisition. Yeah. One thing I really love about my class is, you know, now it's unimaginable that I would tell a student that maybe they're not cut out for Latin because our program can accommodate so many different types of learners. And a lot of times, you know, in terms of being able to enjoy being able to access, there's very little difference between, you know, the student who's planning to go to Harvard and, you know, a student for whom my class is their only regular education class. Yeah. And I think, and I think games and activities can, help us with that because we are trying to, as we said, get in repetitions, but also just appeal to so many different types of learners just with different activities that suddenly 
okay, maybe this particular student who's very visual did not, maybe not get as much out of a particular activity than this other student, but at the same time, we're going to do something else. We're suddenly now, okay, the visual learner, you're, you're going to get, this is your time to shine. And maybe the student who tends to be more holistic or maybe listening may not quite get the same thing, but you're getting repetitions. You know, it's almost like cross training. You're, 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 having to use muscles or skill sets that maybe not your your primary skill set, but at the same time, you're learning to develop them. Absolutely. All right. So before I let you go, I do want to ask, um, have you been playing any games, like regular games in your spare time? So I know that we have played D&D together and that you enjoyed it, but are you playing anything now? Actually, no. I mean, it's... I, I love games. You know, I love just... Um, you know, having game nights, I think is a, a very social person. So I enjoy the community aspect of games. Um, I, you know, love just getting together with friends and just doing just like, okay, we're going to, even if something like Pictionary. Um, so I haven't been able to do that just with the pandemic. I want to say probably in the early months of the pandemic, um, I was doing um, just some online games with friends, um, just different types of things that were out there because, you know, we didn't know how long we were going to be quarantined. Um, And I enjoyed it. But at the same time, you know, doing a virtual game night or, you know, Zoom night, it's just not the same as as doing it in person. So um, not currently doing any games right now but i look forward to eventually a, a time when it is safe for us to congregate again and you know build community that way through an activity yeah i'm gonna have to have you over to game night once that's actually safe to do <laughs> yeah. and so it's <laughs> it's one of the things where it i just realized you know it's it's coming up on a year um you know our lives are just so different so i'm hoping that once it does become safe to do these things again you know that we will you know try and get back into that habit. Because like I said, I think we've gotten to a situation where we've gotten adjusted to this type of environment that, you know, where we're, we're just kind of separated from, from each other that I hope that, or, you know, you also have people who rush into it or, or see, you know, don't see any reason why we shouldn't have community, you know, really um, quickly. But yeah, I, I, I look forward to when we can actually do things like, game nights, you know, going back to doing things like Dungeons and Dragons, just just for the communal aspect of interacting with each other and just growing together. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Keith, for coming on my podcast. I mean, I know I can bother you at work anytime, but I appreciate that you took time after hours to talk to me. <laughs> well, and, and, it, and it is interesting just because um, of our teaching situation. We're in a hybrid teaching situation. So we as teachers are on campus. Um, I rarely interact with other teachers just because of the situation we're in. So like to be able to interact with, with you, Liz, just even in this situation and just dialogue, this has been really, really fun, really enjoyable just for me to be, to get to talk to you um, about a topic, which, you know, we both enjoy, but at the same time, just being able to be like, yeah, we can actually talk and converse um, versus being isolated and staying in our classrooms. Yeah, I've definitely become a lot more of a hermit this year. <laughs> yeah, I with 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 just the the teaching situation it is like for me to leave 
the building and to go to other buildings. It's it just feels very weird. Not that it's unsafe, but you're just like, I'm leaving my my classroom. I'm leaving my building that I where I remain 95% of the time. And so to venture out to go to, you know, another teacher's classroom or, you know, across the school, sometimes you're like, I, I feel like I'm taking my life in my own hands in that I just have to leave um, my safe space. Uh, yeah. But hey, do you want to tell us where we can find your blog one more time? All right. It is totally comprehensible Latin. Again, that's T-O-D-A-L-L-Y. Uh, totally comprehensible Latin dot blogspot dot com. Here's a little funny story. I before I did this blog, I had a, a teacher web page that was just totally Latin, and that was you know back in the day, you know back in you know 2010 2011. I had you know it was it was just a way to before we had like Google Classroom and things like that. This was a way to post assignments. And so it was totally, T-O-D-A-L-L-Y, Latin. Um, and I would tell students, go to totally Latin. Um, but there was a, an adult website that was totally Latin, but with a T, T-O-T-A-L-L-Y, L-A-T-I-N. And so I would have <laughs> students and parents go to that website, and they're like, Mr. Toda, that is not <laughs> – I don't think – that's your website. And for the longest time, I was like, what are you, I don't know what you're doing. And then they, then they, you know, they told me what it was. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yes. You need to make sure it is totally with T T O D A L L Y, not T O T A L L Y. And I'm not going to change the, the website name. Cause I'm like, this is my website. So, but Hey, they, they ran into a whole wrong version of the sex game. <laughs> But yeah, so like when I did my blog, at least, you know, then I changed it to add in the comprehensible part. So, so. <laughs> All right, so everybody go to totally comprehensible Latin with a D. Yeah, or you don't I, know what's going to happen. I do not know if, if, I know that totally Latin with the T-O-D-A-L-L-Y uh, Latin does not exist because I, uh, I had bought the URL and I don't use it anymore. So I don't know if the other totally t-o-t-a-l-l-y latin still exists please don't go there all right i i i, I just want to warn you I, I i saw it once i'm like oh yeah that that's that, that's something we don't want to go to so yeah <laughs> fantastic and i of course can be found anywhere on the internet as beyond solitaire thank you so much everyone for listening well thank you thank you liz i i enjoyed this it was a lot of fun i was so good to have you keith all right take care you too. Have a good evening, everybody.